0: Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. I'm the founder, Jennifer Palmer. Today, I am pleased to welcome Terry M. Brown as our guest host. Terry is an author herself and is considering if a podcast of her own is a fit for her. Until then, we're happy to have her with us terry's guest is a second generation holocaust survivor retired corporate communicator and a memoir writer a memoir that represents five years of intense research in the u.s poland sweden israel and germany the author sought to unearth and understand the real life stories of his parents a memoir that takes honor thy parents to a whole new level. Max J. Friedman says, I discovered just how much life often interferes with our dreams. I would like to welcome Max J. Friedman, the author of Painful Joy, a Holocaust family memoir. Welcome, Max.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: I am so glad to have you. This book has a lot to it.
1: Basically, the book is, uh, as, as it's entitled, a family Holocaust memoir. And, and what that really means is that my parents were Holocaust survivors. They met after the war, after their liberation from concentration camps. My sister and I were born in Sweden, where they were recuperating from uh, their traumas, which they never really managed to recuperate from fully. This book sort of chronicles their lives uh, from the time they were born because essentially I had avoided that entire story uh, because being uh, the child of Holocaust survivors essentially makes you have to try to survive their survival. And I think by doing that, I tried to do that by avoiding it. And until I was oh, 65 years, 66 years old, along, and, and that was even a while ago. I, I didn't uh, go back. I didn't find out. And they were gone, and I spent five years trying to find out who they were, who they might have become, and what traumas might have been passed on to their uh, children and even Future generations beyond them.
0: You know, I'm, I'm widely read. I love to read. I have read quite a few accounts of people that have survived or not survived in the Holocaust. This one was different in a lot of ways. And I think it's because it came from your point of view as opposed to theirs. And it really went back much further than when the war started you know, a lot of times I think people focus, you know, starting in the in the mid 30s and 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 forward. And you took us all the way back to when they were born, and and we got to meet who they were beforehand. Your grandson asked you a question that got you started, kind of writing this memoir. So tell us what was that question, and why was it important for you to find the answer for him?
1: He was eight years old. We'd been very close. And he was having some issues, I guess, with, with his life, even at eight. Not, not necessarily saying welcome to my world, but so I started to talk to him about my mother. My mother was most obviously affected by what happened to her as a survivor. And I, and I tried to explain to him that uh, people can have difficult lives and still do okay. And then so he asked me this question and he said, so if uh, they were survivors and he never knew them, then you you were a survivor in some way. And then maybe one day I will be a survivor. Uh, is that true? Is that possible? Uh, because he wanted to have the strength of a survivor. And I said, I have no idea. And I said, I'm gonna try to find out. And it took five years to try to begin to find out and I, and I went early in their lives to the, to the beginning because I didn't know anything about the beginning of their lives because I wanted to see what could I learn about their early lives that maybe helped them survive or, or something. And I didn't know mm-hmm. what I was even looking for.
0: If your grandson were to ask you that question today, what's your answer for him now?
1: Well, my answer for him now is that I, I understood much more about myself as a result. and I understood. Things about me that I got from my parents, good things, because I got some really bad things, too, that have helped me survive. And probably the most important thing that I learned from them is to never, never, never give up. They never gave up, despite the most horrible things that could happen to a human being.
0: So what does your grandson and other family members think of this memoir? Uh,
1: when when I, I did it, initially I did it just for my family, mm-hmm. which is a small family, my, my sister and myself and our children, grandchildren. And then I decided for a number of reasons that it, it, it was a story that perhaps was important to tell to other people as well. So I sent the manuscript I, I shared it, obviously, with my wife, who was instrumental in helping me on a lot of the research, a librarian. My two sons had seen it, and I, and I gave it to my grandson. And I asked him what he thought, and he said that uh, it was a tough read, he said. And, and this was year, several years later. Uh, but he said, but I'm tough now. Yeah, that, that's so, sort of what happened. And, and yeah. that, that was his, his reaction.
0: His reaction. What about your sister? How does she feel about everything that you found?
1: My sister. It was a more complicated thing because my sister was more touched than I was by my my parents' traumas. When she was older. We came to the United States in 1952, and uh, from Sweden. And my sister's relationship, as as many daughters' relationships with with mothers, uh, was fraught. And fraud is an understatement. And, and 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 the issue for my sister was essentially that my mother, who, as I learned over the years uh, of research, uh, had never really had a childhood. And in a sense was a survivor and a refugee her entire life. And so what she did to survive was to create a fantasy life for herself. She decided it would, became apparent that... My sister was going to be the vessel for that fantasy life. My sister could not be who she wanted to be. And she was sort of a bookish, very smart, uh, wanting to just study and learn and read. And my mother wanted her to be the social, outgoing uh, person who could attract boys and all this other stuff. All things that actually my mother never did. Uh, or ever had the opportunity to do for lots of reasons. My sister was very happy that I had done it. But when I sent the manuscript to her, I basically said to her, I know it's bringing back memories because she had essentially erased her memories of her childhood. (laughs) And I said, and if this really hurts you, we're going to burn the book and that'll be it. And it'll, it'll never see the light of day. And then she read it and she said, no, this is going to help me heal. And and that's what happened.
0: Well, good. I did notice that in the book you were talking about uh, your parents and their roles in your life and kind of like where you played out. And it sounds like you kind of got to skirt along the edges a little bit, you know, like come and go a little more and be a little less in the limelight of um, your mother's angst. And then your father didn't didn't portray what he did in the same way that your mother did, right. he was more, he was more quiet and internal and focused more on, on his religion mm-hmm. and his, and, you know, bringing the children up and working. And that's kind of how he managed what you got from your dad was very different from what your sister
1: Right, yeah. right. I, I, I was I was very lucky. My, my father was a sweet man. And and again, uh, those who read Painful Joyals See, uh, he had never spoke about anything related to right. his past. And I think he so cherished the idea of being able to have another family because he had lost his wife, his first wife and yeah. his two little children in Auschwitz, that this was this was the most marvelous thing that could happen to him. And he found religion because I think he had lost it uh-huh. and he found his religion. And, and I uh, was able to skirt it because I, and perhaps because I had become a survivor at a very young age, I knew that this was an extremely abnormal world that I lived in. And I was going to escape it in any way I could. And people who read the book, uh, you could see, starting at age seven, I left my house. I would go on the subway by myself from Coney Island in Brooklyn and into the city and make believe I was an adult and ride elevators and wear a little bow tie and think that I was an adult and do everything I could possibly do to not be home. And, and I did that. Uh, I, I went to, to college. I went to Columbia. I could take the subway to Columbia, but I didn't want to. I wanted to leave my house and I wanted to live there and we didn't have any money. And Luckily, I had a scholarship so we could afford. And my father asked me one day because he knew that there was a kid who lived down the block who also went to Columbia and he would go on the subway every day back and forth. And he said, why, did, "Why don't you go to the, on the subway the way Stanley goes on the subway?" And I said, "It's not good for my education, right?" And and education was very important to him. He he only went to school for six years in his life, okay. till uh, sixth grade, and then he had to support his family because his father had died at an early age. And uh, and he said, "Oh, okay, okay." And that
0: was it. And, and, was I, it. Right. and I,
1: was, I was very lucky. My sister was not as fortunate.
0: When I read that about your mom and your sister, I don't think that it is just because of the Holocaust, although mm. that was a lot. I think there are a lot of moms who try to live their lives through their daughters, Mm -hmm. especially if they look back on their own childhood or teenagehood and wish maybe they had been different or been given different opportunities. And they see these opportunities and then they kind of, you know, like shove them at their daughters who are going, oh, but that's so not me. It's not what I want. And then you add the layer on of everything that your mother had been through, and it became even a bigger need for your mother to have your sister be this person that she believed she could have been had the war not happened, had the Holocaust not happened, had she not been a refugee her whole life. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. As uh, anyone who reads the book again w- would find out, my mother made up stories mm-hmm. and she made up stories not only around the camps, although many of those stories around the camps I turned turned out were actually true, but about uh, her first, her, her life before the camps. The most important story that she told us was that she and her first husband ran this dance studio. Right. And we believed her. And I remember coming back from our, our visits to, to Poland and calling my sister and I and saying, there is no dance studio. There never was a dance studio. And, and my wife and I actually thought we found the dance studio, you know, just around the corner from where they lived and all this other stuff. And we had believed it. And she said, no, I can't believe that. And, yeah. and her, you know, her husband made luggage. He had no dance studio. They didn't make money. They barely had enough money to, to eat. Uh, and my mother took in wash in order to actually survive during the early part of the war. Uh, and then there were the camps. And then right.
0: I think the, the memory of the dance studio was yeah. what she had hoped that they would have. Yeah. Like this, this, was a, this was a dream that was never realized. Yeah. Right. And it was something to hang on to. It yeah. was, and, and you think about something long enough. And you, you, you put that dream quality into it long enough. And it does start to feel very real. Right. You can you can imagine what you had done. I love in the very end of your mom's life, how she was teaching some dance. I can't remember. Was it at a.
1: Yeah. At a senior center. At a senior center. In Brooklyn. Right.
0: <laughs> that made me, oh, that made me so happy. I just grinned mm. from ear to ear because right. I thought, you know, she didn't get to do it in that early life, but. But at least in a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Oh, yeah. She yeah, realized yeah. that dream. And I just, I loved that. Yeah, I loved that I'm, part.
1: The most noble part of her life. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just making this up because well, I don't know what anything really. Uh, <laughs> In terms of the reality of her life and what that could have been like but but the last years of her life i i write about the last walk we took together right and and it was a it was a a time a short time she was taking care of my father who had alzheimer's so he was a person who didn't want to remember anything about his past and and ironically he got alzheimer's right. right right and, and my mother the the parts about her past she either made up or were horrible she because she would talk about concentration camps when we were kids that was our bedtime stories and at the end she she was the best that she had ever been with my father they because i never saw love really and and as i say, as I say in the book the the best thing that i found out about the book is that they once loved each other when they first met and i found a love letter and that's how the book starts with a love letter And it ends with love. And Painful Joy, the title comes from a a poem written by a Jewish sage in the Middle Ages, which talks about what is love like when it's touched by death? How different does love become? And then as soon as I saw that, I said, this has to be the book, because... The love was there, was love that was a very different kind of love. And then at the end, it was an all-consuming kind of love in a way, and and her coming to terms with herself in a way that she hadn't for the 80 years before. It's an opportunity, I think, for readers to meet two strangers who are very ordinary in, in many ways, poor Polish Jews, and come to know them and come to understand them and come to see how people can surmount some things and other things are insurmountable.
0: Exactly. As I was reading the book, I was struck by an immense amount of love that you have for your parents. I mean, it came through, even when you were talking about some very difficult things with your mother or difficult situations that you found yourself in due to all the things that happened to them and then how that manifested itself in your home growing up. I just was struck by that love that just kept coming through instead of something like resentment. And I'm just curious, how do you think you managed to come to a place where you could look back on what is arguably a very difficult childhood, very difficult and yet you came out of it with this great love as opposed to a resentment and this idea of, you know, well, my parents caused it all. And, you know, the the, the thing that's kind of prevalent today where we point fingers and, and cast blame, you seem to come out of it in a different place.
1: Yeah, we I, I think because both my sister and I and my sister even more because she was old, a few years older than me, I think we. We also, besides developing a lot of fears and other things that are pretty negative uh, from the traumas that we saw around us, we also developed a a deep empathy and a deep empathy for these two people. And we never forgot what they went through, even though we didn't even understand it at the beginning, but we just knew that these, these were people that had gone through too much. And, and my sister as well. I mean, she forgave, my mother, my, my, my mother was not nice to my sister in the least, even in the later years, and my sister took great care of her. We forgave them everything because we understood that these people, that we couldn't have done what these people did. I don't think I could have done that. And so empathy, and I think as I came to understand the book and why maybe it would be good for people to read. I want people to walk away with a greater sense of empathy about strangers, about people who you look at and you say, I don't want to be anywhere near these people. But they have stories, they have feelings, they have things that happen to them and, and it happens to all of us. And we should not look at people as either non-entities, the way uh, you know, the Germans took away their names, took away their identity, took away their humanity and gave them numbers. And that's who they were. Uh, and uh, Joseph Mengele, when he was asked once, how could you send people to the left where they were being sent to the gas chambers? And he said "They they were already ghosts. These people weren't people. I didn't see them as people. I saw them. They were already dead. and And I think in our current world, there's a lot of talk about a lot of things that upset us and that we think a lot of people are crazy and are going in the wrong direction and and, and and that may all actually be true but at the same time they are people and they all have their stories and 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 we we can't forget that and once we make them enemies and we make them subhuman and don't identify them as people anymore then then it's sort of over
0: oh, I agree I had a hard time reading the book I loved it. But I would read it and then I would have to put it away. It would be like I had intended usually at night I read about 50 pages and that's what I do. And then I get through, you know, a book a week kind of thing by reading 50 pages at night. And I can honestly say 10 or 15 pages was about the max of what I could do. Because the emotional turmoil that it was bringing up was was pretty intense, but it was so worth reading and the things that I learned and the feelings that I had and the, the understanding. I don't think there are too many books out here like this one that come from the perspective of, you know, a child saying, this is what happened to my parents. And, and, and not only what happened to my parents during the war, which we do hear a lot of, But what happened to my parents for the next, what, 50 years? 50 years.
1: 50 years. You know,
0: that's, I think a lot of people have this idea that like once a war is over or once a big, ugly event is passed, that it's actually over. And it's really not for anyone who lived it.
1: Yeah, It's something
0: that that they live with for the rest of their lives. And as you said, actually pass it on to the next generation. Yeah. And, And
1: I think, you know, when we're watching the... You know, the horrors that are going on in Ukraine and, and, and all these places. My, my mother grew up three miles away from the border with Ukraine and Poland. You know, you, you have to say that th- this is not going to go away from these for these yep. millions of people. It's not going to no, go it. away and it's going to have an effect on them and an effect on on their interactions with with the world as well. In a way, you know, I mean, there there weren't that many survivors <laughs> of the camps. So right. the, the 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 and they're they're pretty much all gone except for the ones who were hidden children and things like that. But it leaves behind always and 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 the the point of the book. The book is half about them mm-hmm. and their individual journeys, and the other half is about them and us. And, right, and the them and us is the only part that I could attest to. The the other, everything
0: else was kind of speculation. It appears yeah, that based yeah. on the records I found, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: It differs I think with some books because of that and because of the fact that some people knew more. Some people managed to ask their parents and the parents were actually willing to talk about it. but but many of the survivors did not want to talk about it and and they they married other survivors because those people could understand them. Uh, could understand them in a way that no one else could ever understand them. And then a lot of them moved on and it looked like they moved on in an external sense, but you you can't possibly move on. You have to just be, you have to continue to survive. And, and everybody does it in a different way.
0: In a different way. You stated when that you were doing this research that you started having like night sweats and night terrors and et cetera, help, us kind of understand what you found that led to these emotions. Like, it sounds to me like you started experiencing some of what your parents had experienced pretty much throughout their whole life. I just would like to know more.
1: You know, it came as a surprise, because I really accepted who they were. And I had put a distance between myself and their experiences in some ways in order to move on. And so I thought this book was going to be a discovery an intellectual sort of experience. I wanted to know what happened to them, where they were born because where they told me they were born was not where they were born. When they were born was not when they were born. None of that, their siblings and all that stuff, everything was different. But when the night sweats started and, and I went to my doctor and I said, you know, this is all this. And, this. <laughs> and I asked, I said, well, you know, it occurred to me as I'm talking to her that, uh, that maybe this has something to do with what I'm doing. And she said, no, no, no. And we went through many, many scans uh, because uh, it, they everybody, the doctors all thought that I had some sort of blood cancer essentially. Uh, because the night sweats are, are, are typical for that. No, no one found anything. And finally they just sort of said, well, you know, who knows? Who knows? But then it became clear that I knew. And when I did, it it was weird because th- this was after we had already come back from our trip. And during the trip, it was, it was quite emotional uh, because it, it, it was during the trip that we went to Auschwitz. And that's where my father's first wife and, and children were murdered. And they tell you that when you walk the grounds of Auschwitz, that in fact, you're walking on the ashes of all the people or many of the million, over a million people who were burned, whose bodies were burned, and there was no place to put the ashes, so they put it in the ground. And you're walking on that. And then every little thing suddenly became a drama in, in and of itself. And it still has taken me some time because I've been spending this last number of months talking about it again and sort of reliving some of the emotions that I felt. I mean, the, when I first heard the names of my, my father's children, children, two little girls, one and a half and, and four years old, Ada and Fagla. I, I suddenly found out that there were these two people. And they had names and they had birth dates. And I found what they were. And I knew the day that they were murdered. And even as I talk about it now, it, it, it's difficult. But then, you know, you just start crying. And I don't, I generally don't cry. Uh, and, but I also generally like only happy endings. And in a sense, my sister and I are the happy ending for, right. and, and our children and grandchildren are the happy ending. But we came to appreciate, or I came to appreciate more in my sister as well. I think the, the happy ending that they had because they had us. And if they hadn't had us, I, I don't think they could have survived.
0: Which is so amazing that you you look at when they found one another, mm-hmm. they were both still very very ill. Right. You know they were they were no. I mean I know you say they never they never got completely well, but at the point that they met, they were still very ill. Yet they met and they fell in love. I was quite frankly stunned that your mother was even able to get pregnant, given the you know, horrific conditions that she was in. And I know how hard it is for women who are um, malnourished and and other things. And and to know all that she went through, the fact that she was able to actually carry a baby to term was just unbelievable to me. And I, I did think what an amazing blessing that was for them to kind of find hope in a world that seemed rather hopeless.
1: Right. And, and uh, you know, people always talk about how people, parents like to sort of live through their children, as we were just talking yeah. about, my, my, my mother and my sister. But in a sense that this was their only way to, to make it. And I think they needed each other. In, in, in another world, they would have met and would have actually probably ignored each other. Uh, at best, this was a different world, and right. and and coming to terms with a different world was basically the way my sister and I had to had to grow up and had to understand. And I think that again had its good points and its bad points.
0: Obviously, you found some difficult things when you were doing all this research. What would you say was the most difficult thing?
1: The most difficult thing was finding out when my my father's children and, and wife uh, died because my father's story about that was not actually quite, quite, quite true. Quite accurate. Right? Yeah, and, and the fact that he told me that story was, was difficult at first to take because it's the only, the only time we ever talked about his life. Uh, Before the war, the turning point for me was we had gone to where my mother had lived in Krakow. Krakow is a beautiful, beautiful city. Jennifer, my wife, and I go there and I'm looking up the address that we're going to because, you know, I wanted to go to every place where my parents had lived and I have an address for just Mm -hmm. to see what it's like and maybe learn something from it. And so we go and I'm looking and it's uh, it was Josepha 12. That was the address. And I go to Google to just see where on the map it is so we don't get lost when we go there. And there's this whole story about uh, Steven Spielberg. Right. And Steven Spielberg basically uses the tenement that my mother lived in for 25 years with, with her first husband and, and with her mother and father and some of her uh, siblings as the central location for uh, the Krakow ghetto in, in Schindler's List. And this was quite amazing, but it, it wasn't upsetting. It was it was delightful in a certain way because it it allowed m- me to think that my mother would have so loved to to be at the center. Because basically, it became a, a sightseeing a, a place right, where right. where tours went. And so my my wife and I go to this place, and we're standing in the courtyard, and anybody who looks up joseph at 12 we'll we'll see the courtyard or anyone who's seen schindler's list will see the courtyard because that's where she lived and we go there and a tour is going by and this woman is talking about this building in a very sort of distant way why shouldn't she to a bunch of italian tourists and and i walk over and it's the first time that i actually connected with my past in any public way. My wife and I and my sister and I, we, we obviously knew a lot about our, our feelings about it and what my right. parents were like. But I walked over to them, first I walked over and I said, excuse me, but you know, my mother lived here and her family lived here. Except for my mother, they were all murdered right down the road. And and, and it was very it was very difficult for me to get those words out. I, it, I can it, imagine. Then everything about her life and their lives became much more real real than they could have been otherwise by me looking up another date and another i mean this this was where all kinds of good things and very bad things happened and where it would start and where it would end and uh that, that was very difficult. The Auschwitz was very difficult. I can, yeah. And I would call my, my sister every time I found out anything, because I found out dozens and dozens of surprising things, and I would call her. And, and my sister's reaction was always, oh, it's so great you're doing this. And she didn't want to know more. I mean, it was sort of like she you know, she had had enough her whole life. She didn't right. want to know more. She didn't you need know, more. At the her, heart, yeah. her hard drive had been erased. Right. And, and, and that was it. It's only after the book and after I started to talk about it and send her like my podcast things or an article or this, that she come to sort of say, uh, hmm. And, and it's interesting because I'm actually going to go to Mobile, Alabama, where my, my parents uh, spent their last years and, and talk to, to a group of high school and college kids about these two people and and it's it's another way for me to sort of create a kind of memorial in my own head and in my and my sister still lives in mobile to sort of honor people who many people would look at and just say eh, i don't know if i really want to even get near these people and and that 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 unfortunately was true when we were young and you know one dose of my mother for most strangers was more was than enough, enough. right <laughs> right you know you, right. you didn't want to take that medicine again if you didn't have to uh, we had to, uh, but other people didn't. And so people didn't come back. I mean, and, right. and these were all survivors as well, but they were survivors who somehow. They, did, of, it they, they did, did it
0: differently. They did and, it differently. They did it very know,
1: di- differently. But well,
0: one of the things that, that's interesting is, is that, despite doing it differently and despite doing it in a way that was difficult for others, she still did it.
1: Oh, she did it. <laughs> you know, she, and but,
0: but she did it.
1: Uh-huh. Oh yeah. You no, know, she she, it. she I, made it
0: all the way through to the end. Right, and, right. you know, she brought you and your sister into the world. And yes, you have some things that you've had to learn how to, to deal yeah. with, but you also got some really amazing things from yeah, no, them yeah. as well. And as I was reading the book, I went back and forth between like really admiring her and 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 really wanting to say what is like you know get a grip. And mm-hmm. then and then I would think that and think, well, she is. This is yeah. her grip. Yeah, this, this is, is yeah,
1: you this know- is her <laughs> grip. And and in a very real sense it's her grip. If if you ever met her, she would she would latch onto you. She would take your arm and she would say, "Pay attention to me." Right. You know, I'm talking to you, and I'm telling you something, and I need you to hear me. And and again, she was this tiny, tiny little lady, and she had a grip that could 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 kill i don't know what it could do <laughs> it could do
0: a lot of things it could right? do a lot of things yeah. but it
1: it forced people and and even when she moved to mobile i mean she's you know this little lady this little jewish lady from brooklyn living uh, in
0: mobile alabama in, of know, all yeah, places right yeah, you know right. And
1: luckily in the south everybody's very whatever they feel they're, they're very they're very uh so Light polite. on the
0: outside yeah
1: right, right so you know no one ever said bad things to, to her or you know but she right. stop people on the street and start telling them about her story about Bergen-Belsen and, and being starved there and you know and people would they didn't have a choice at a certain point. So they listened and the mailman listened. Uh, the college kid next door in the garden apartment next door listened. I was so delighted that I, I found some people who were willing to allow me to talk in Mobile about the book and about them, that I could find that because that uh, they're buried in Mobile, Alabama, these two people. You know, strangers in a strange land, they were always strangers in a strange land. Yeah. And the fact that they managed to get that and managed to have two children and and grandchildren and great-grandchildren is testament to the human spirit.
0: It really is. It really is. You said something that struck me that it was while that you were there in Poland that things became real to you. I think what struck me about that is, is I would have thought that it had always been like unbelievably real to you. And yet even you had to kind of come to terms with how real real was you know as someone who has no anything with the holocaust it didn't touch my life personally in any real way and i had gone to the holocaust museum in dc and as we were walking through it's very enlightening uh, i was learning things i would have said that i had a, a a complete understanding of what had happened and we walked into this hall and it was full of a photographer's photos and these photos had been of a town that was a completely jewish town that was completely wiped away nearly everyone died or everyone i can't remember now the numbers and i stood there and looked at these photos and they were photos of people having birthday parties and photos of people swinging on the swings and and getting into their normal everyday life all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with the idea that this was not about a Jewish people, but this was about individuals and that it could have been me, mm-hmm. that, that I had birthday parties and that I got into my car and that I didn't end up going through the rest of the museum. At that point, I had had exactly what I could handle and left. I mean, I, I couldn't get out of there fast enough just because of the overwhelming understanding that hit me. And so I figured it was just because of my age and that I didn't have any relatives. And, and But then to hear you say that you also kind of went through your own reckoning of, of it becoming real I think that we all maybe have to go through different things where we start to recognize that, that what we hear in history actually happened to real individuals.
1: Right. It, it's true. I mean, we, we had almost no pictures of them, right? Because the pictures were all destroyed. The right. only pictures that we had of them were pictures uh, from the German ID cards uh, that they got and a few pictures that my father had sent to his family in the United States. He had cousins who had escaped from Poland right. after the pogroms in the 1920s. So those, those were the people who helped us get to the United States. When we were going through all these real places now where people, and, and that was important to go there, even if those places were different right. than they were when, when they were there, we find a picture of my mother's Father, so this was in the archives, right? And and we hadn't found it before. And we had a a a guy uh, who had been helping us, uh, who lived in Warsaw, an Israeli actually, but had moved his family because he could no longer afford living in Israel. And he said, "I have to show you." And there was a picture of of this man, and he was my grandfather, uh, and I was named after him. That was amazing. The next day, we go to an exhibit uh, in schindler's factory so oscar schindler had this factory Mm -hmm. and he saved the jews some thousand jews or so and uh and there's an exhibit and i'm walking through the exhibit and there's a picture and it's a picture of my grandfather that i met just the day before because for me that's it was it was the day before that i met i met him and here he was with other people in, it was supposed to be the ghetto. It was actually not. It, but it was in the Jewish quarter. And I said to my wife, "Isn't isn't that, isn't that you know Jacob Gold? Isn't that my grandfather?" And my my father? she said, "Yeah, yeah, we just saw that." And everything just kept becoming so. It was, it was you know there are three dimensions, and then there are many more than three dimensions. And this was a multi-dimensional experience of just seeing a person who you just saw as an ID. Now he was. There were other people around him and he was just one person and he's not just on a list that you get of all the people who survived or all the people who were killed and and all the people who were transported from one place to another to the death camps it was a remarkable experience and 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 doing all of that over a few week period as we did i mean we we find a woman who was my father's niece in uh in in israel and we meet her, and she happens to be working at Yad Vashem, at the at the Holocaust Memorial there, and and all of it was just so. There were so many facets. It's it, it sort of like, uh, you know, you the smells, the tastes, everything suddenly happens in in a way that you can it, that it's overwhelming, but extremely necessary. And, yeah. and even though it's a short visit uh, it, it was enough to really say now I'm ready to write this story even though there are many many holes in the story there are many assumptions that I make uh, because they are unknowable
0: and uh, and and they may never they probably never, never, knowable never because never. there are too many there are too many records that weren't kept there were too right. many records that yeah. didn't survive it's right. and you just have to kind of make an assumption based on what we know right. generally right
1: this yeah. is most likely. right, yeah. and, and, you know, again, my, my parents wrote their story in their own heads. I mean, they, you know, they, they decided this was the story that I want because this is the story I can live with. Yeah. And, and in a sense, I did the same thing. This is the story that I have come to believe and understand. And now I know them better than I ever thought I would. And then I know myself better than I ever Never thought, thought. I would.
0: I would be curious to sit down and talk with your sons and ask them, do you feel like you know yourselves better now?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know? and we've not we've not had that conversation, but I, you know, I could point out to them where, you know, but it's up to them really to decide. Exactly. For exactly.
0: Yeah. I w- I would just think, you know, now that you've learned many things about yourself, I'm sure right. that you've done some introspection and looked back and said, well, what does what did all of this mean for the way I fathered?
1: Right and for right, the way exactly.
0: for the way I husband, yeah, you know, yeah. and for the way and for the way I I don't remember what you do for a living.
1: Uh, I actually am a writer. Okay,
0: okay. So I mean, so as a writer, yeah. like like, well, how did all of this? I'm sure you've sat down and said, "Wow, I yeah. can see where this touched me, or how this moved me in this direction, or yeah. how this how this made me believe certain things, or do certain things, or act certain ways," and then. Doing that, of course, means that your boys were raised a certain way, which means that they're raising their children certain with way. certain belief systems. It; These are the kinds of things I find so fascinating about history. People, like I said, they block it into this little thing. This is when this happened. And it's yes, that's when it happened, but that is not when it ended.
1: Right. Exactly and, exactly. and
0: and it can be generations and generations and generations right, in which right. it still kind of manifests itself, you know, right. whether it's an actual genetic imprint or whether it's just because of the environment and what you learned. I just I find that very fascinating. It's a yeah, very very you
1: know, sort of nature versus nurture exactly. Uh, sort of writ large, but at the, at the same time it, it's up to it, it it truly is up to each of us. Uh, whether our stories, are, uh, to understand that. And, right. You know, you can't be taught that or told, well, that's why you're so afraid, or that's why you're this, or that's why you're that. Because all of this is multidimensional. So Exactly. Uh, you know, and there are a lot of inputs. My inputs and my sister's inputs were the same in some ways. And, and, different, and in different in other ways. The relationship right. I had with my father versus the relationship she had with my with her father, and and the same thing with with our mother. And we turned out to be similar in some ways. My sister and, and different I, in other.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and and different, and for lots of lots of reasons, it is it's an instructive thing to try to figure. Some of this out. Yeah. And 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 sometimes to sort of avoid figuring it out because because I think we the the story becomes too simple and our stories are all much much more complicated. Right.
0: Right. You are you are the son. Of Holocaust survivors, and you are many other things too. Yeah, that's and right. so you you don't want to boil it down to that alone, yeah, because yeah. that alone doesn't tell your whole story, right, right, yeah. you know,
1: And then and you know and then on a on a fairly superficial though important level, you want that story to be told because this Holocaust thing and how that came to be, and and why we see so much hate now. In in our own country, that needs to be understood and needs to Absolutely. be highlighted to people that hate can do things that you never thought. And I think that's true for in in Germany it's uh, true and anywhere. in Poland. Uh, allowing hate to begin to manifest itself uh, and allowing it in ourselves can lead to to things that we would never think we were capable of.
0: I think that's a good lesson like you said, that we really understand that this isn't something that happened in Germany and Poland. Yeah.
1: And mm-hmm.
0: it did happen there, but it isn't It isn't a German thing. It's a human thing. Mm-hmm. It's what happens when people become afraid. It's when, what happens when people have hatred. It's what happens when people put hatred and fear together. Because as soon as you do that, then you start doing some pretty crazy things to be safe, but it, it isn't, it isn't good. You, yeah, know? Yeah, you know, I mean that what happened is it's incomprehensible to me and yet it could happen again
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if
0: we're not careful. And so stories like this are, are imperative that people be reminded what actually happened
1: yeah, yeah. and what
0: the ramifications are.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I was very lucky to have found this publisher Amsterdam publishers in Holland mm-hmm. and and the woman who started that publishing house had decided I guess now it's over 10 years ago that uh that the stories were being forgotten and and she was going to devote her publishing house to just telling those stories. We had a little get together at the Dutch consulate last year. And so a number of the authors were there. And we all looked at each other. And we all came from lots of different places. And we were lots of different ages. And we just said to each uh, other, there were 40 of us in here, 40 out of millions of stories millions, that haven't right. been told. There's just so much more to know about that and about so many other similar kinds of things that have happened around the world that are just buried. Right. And are unknown. And no, no one has paid attention to it. I mean, we're fortunate that we have it's incumbent upon the children of survivors and even the grandchildren of survivors to, to keep those stories alive in some way so that we don't make the same mistake again.
0: I agree. One thing that you said is that you found that many children of the Holocaust survivors they kind of feel like their lives have to be good enough to make their parents survival worthwhile like that everything that they went through all that all that they did that they have to be good enough do you feel that that happened to you do you did you have that and do you feel like you passed that down at all like do your sons or do your grandsons do they feel like they too have to be something to have made the sacrifice that your parents made
1: I, I think in some ways, uh, yeah, I think they, they, they were driven in some ways to excel in, in high school. Uh, one of my sons was a valedictorian. They're twins. Uh, the other was a salutatorian. So they were number one and two. And you know, they both actually both went to Yale. One gets a Harvard MBA. The other one gets a Yale law degree. And without us pushing them in the least, but I think they saw their grandparents and they 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 knew their grandparents in a different way. They knew their mm-hmm. grandparents as people who loved them. Right. And that was it sort of unconditionally loved them. We were the parents mm-hmm. who are you know, trying to guide them, shape that,
0: them. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and, you know, these were just two people sort of who came out of the blue. Very simple. the The relationship was just very simple and very deep. And I think that guided them into saying, mm-hmm. well, you know why shouldn't I try for everything? Right. Uh, and, you know, because these two, you know, just try to live for another day. And I think a lot of that was unconscious or subconscious. And and we certainly, we we stayed away from even trying to guide them at all when it came academically at all. Other ways, maybe we did well or we didn't do well. Who knows? Right. But, right. you know, but it's, it's not just up to us. It's up to them. They have their own worlds that they have developed for exactly. themselves it's not our lives and you know and you learn that from my parents too you know they 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 were harmed in lots of ways and they passed some of that on to us and fortunately they didn't pass a lot of that on to us as well and that's that,
0: yeah
1: right yeah. i mean we, we're not basket cases i mean we, <laughs> you know, I, at least i don't think we are <laughs> you know, i mean there's no third party to judge us right. so. Right. You know, in, in my book, I judge them in a certain way because I see them in a certain way. But it, and again, it was an evolving way. Uh, it, it, it allowed me to see them with a lot of distance and, and at the same time very become much closer to them as well. Right. As the title of the book could say, A Painful Joy.
0: So if a reader, especially someone who's non-Jewish, no real personal connection to the Holocaust, picks up Painful Joy what do you want them to get from reading it?
1: I do want them to to learn that these two people were just not another two anonymous people. I really think that my mother and father, too many people stayed away from them, in a sense, because of how poor we were or how my my mother was a crazy person or whatever it was. And, And they deserved more. And I just want strangers who read this book to actually sort of begin to like them and maybe even love them and and be sad when they die and and recognize them as people. I, I just I think that we we lived the the four of us lived a very solitary life in many ways uh, for lots of reasons and it would be nice even though they're not around anymore to see any of this. Uh, it just would make me feel good that 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 people you know two of my friends read the book. And and they said, even though they they uh, they knew a lot about them because I had spoken about them a lot, but but they got to know them in a way they they never thought they would. And they they couldn't put the book down. You know, they had to read it in two sittings. You know, they had to, you know, it's not easy easy to do. No, right.
0: That's good. That's what you wanted, because at least for me, having read it, I have thought about your parents so many times in the last two weeks, just yeah. continually think about it different things that, that you said it would just pop up out of, you know, I'll be doing something and I'll think of your mother, or I'll think of your father and I'll, I'll think, I wonder if I lived next door to your mother if I would have been willing to listen.
1: Yeah, yeah, would, yeah. Would I
0: have sat, because I am a listener. I'm, I I. actually uh-huh. enjoy hearing people's stories. And I wondered, like, would I have been able to listen or would I have thought, oh, there comes that crazy lady. Let me get out of, you know, mm-hmm. backyard real mm-hmm. fast, you know? Right. And, and, and again, yeah, it made me wonder. And there was the one story you told about your dad that I, I, I. I sent out a a mass text to several people. And I said, I just read the saddest thing that I think I have ever read in my life. And it was when you came to visit. He already had Alzheimer's. He was very happy to see you. He said, all of a sudden he started to cry. And he said, I know I love you. I just don't remember why. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I started to sob. Mm -hmm. I sent sent it to people. You're not going to believe what I just read. Is this the saddest thing ever? So you definitely succeeded in getting people to know and come to love and appreciate your parents yeah and and,
1: then you know i mean if if that if that's what it is then then that would be great if if in addition to that people started look at other strangers and say you know maybe i should pay you know i shouldn't walk away right away even a yeah, you know, like a homeless person. Like you sort of say, oh my god, a homeless yeah. person. You know, get, get me out of here. Uh, you know, but just but uh, even even if, yeah, even if they don't even if you don't do anything, at least look at them as a as a person. As a human. That right. and that that they have a lot to say if they wanted to and could say it the right way. And if anybody would listen. I still feel a little bit guilty sometimes because because I would I would talk to my mother. And I remember the, I w- I would be driving. I, I had a, a job, and and I would go to Princeton, in Princeton, New Jersey, and I would go back and forth. And I and I had one of the early cell phones, right? And it was in the car because my my boss decided I had to be available at all times, day or night, even even back then in the in the 90s. And I would call my mother as I'm driving back and forth, and my mother would would sort of get. The hint that maybe I'm not listening to anything she's saying because this was a two-hour drive. So she right. was talking to me for two hours. And you know, then every once in a while she would say, Are you listening to me? And I said, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm listening to yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. To. In uh, I, I, and I really were not was not yeah. listening to her. Yeah. I was, first, you know, wasn't New Jersey Turnpike, so the just trying to pay attention. But uh but, you know, and, and there's a part of me that says, eh, maybe if I had listened something, I might have actually learned something uh, instead of sort of turning her off because, you know, it's enough already. And I remember my sister and I, when we were very young, we both almost at the same time told her that we hated her. and oh. And this is when we were still living in Coney Island. So. You know i was maybe in third grade and my sister was maybe in fifth grade or something like that but we just decided that we couldn't take it anymore so we both and you know my mother went crazy uh that that we said that hate the word hate to her uh but, you know, and then you sort of come back to it and you say, you know, what, what were we hating her about? What, what terrible thing did she do to us besides what she always did to us? You know, I mean, why, why that day? And why did she have such a visceral action? You know, she was going to tell my father when he got home. But my father... And didn't really pay attention either. You know, you, you, you wonder, but I think that's true of every young person. Oh, and yeah. Particularly once they've lost their parents and they say, eh, I should have done this. I, I should,
0: should have, have, I should have, I should have. You but, you know, know, I always remind people we usually do the best we can do. If we yeah. could have done better, we would yeah. have. You and, know, and, it's, and it's true of your parents. It's yeah, true of you. Yeah, you know, you, you know, these
1: aren't malevolent people. I mean, they these are right. people who are just trying to make it another day, another exactly. day, another dollar, or whatever exactly. it is. The, the cover of the book has the two of them on a motorcycle. Yes. Uh, I think it was an intentional, uh, first of all, we had very few pictures, <laughs> so there weren't that much to pick. But to find that picture, which was so atypical in so many ways for these two survivors, th- this picture was taken... They, they had been out of the the camps for what eight months, maybe. Yeah. Out of Bergen-Belsen, you know, my mother was there when Anne Frank uh, was there right. and, and died of of typhus with her sister. They, I mean, Bergen-Belsen was like the the worst possible place. To you know, it's sort of like it was a punctuation point. You know, you thought it was bad, and all the other in Auschwitz. Yeah. Well, wait until you wait get to bergen right you know, the, this one, you know, that was built for seven thousand people, and there were sixty thousand people there, and there were thousands, thousands of bodies just sitting everywhere in big mounds because there was nowhere to, to, put, nowhere them to in. put them. And this was where my mother spent the last, I would say, six months of, of her Holocaust career. My father spent less, but he had survived the death march to get to this lovely right. place. It, it so boggles the mind and
0: then you, and then eight months after
1: yeah and that, after they're, that they're, they're, on they're on this motorcycle you know sort of dressed to the nines with uh, with whatever uh clothes they got from some swedish charity that allowed them to have that and and then a few months later they get married and uh and sure not that long after that my sister is born and right. it, it, and it's it, it's it's so extraordinary that having that on the cover. I think it's trying to tell people, you think you'll know who these people are, where they came from, and you, you don't you're begin not, to know. You're
0: not even going to begin to know. And,
1: and and that's true for all of us every time we walk by a, another human being.
0: I agree. What are your future plans, Max? What are you up to?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Uh <laughs> I actually, I just don't know. You don't know. Yes. <laughs> I true, I truly that's, don't know. I, that's an uh,
0: acceptable answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: My, my, uh, my, one of my sons has been living in China for with our grandchildren for the last uh, thirteen years, and he just moved back to the states two weeks ago. So we have a whole new chapter of our lives. Oh,
0: that sounds wonderful. Yeah. And
1: uh, sound wonderful. our other son is with us now, and our grandson lived with us for the last year. So, so you just never know, and that's a good no, thing. Don't.
0: So, how could readers get in touch with you?
1: I was I was very proud of myself that I created my own website all by myself because uh, I ran out of money. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, if you go to www.maxfriedman one word f R-I-E-D-M-A-M, max but one word dot net, uh, you'll find my website. And if and on the website, you actually will see other pictures that we found. Uh, sort of more about why this story, some excerpts from things. And and there are lots of places where you can send me a note and I can try to answer. Uh, And also where you can get the book. I mean, which is mostly on Amazon is the easiest place. Right. In in all of its various uh, forms. I'd love to hear from people. I've heard from some people. Uh, and some people who I had lost touch with for 50 or 60 years who I've heard from, which is very pleasant, because I hope it spurs people to ask questions. And and I hope if I can't answer them, I can at least maybe point you in in directions.
0: I want to thank you so much for not only writing this book for for being here on Online for Authors. I have so enjoyed talking with you.
1: Well, it's very nice. I mean, when I first started talking about the book, I was very, very nervous. And then I started to say, "This, this is, it's not fun, but it's important. And I talk even more than I should. About a lot of things. I mean, I, I just go on and on and on and on. Maybe because I'm I'm an older man, and, and I and there I don't have anyone working for me who is willing to listen because they're being paid. To <laughs> they're
0: being paid to. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe so, you have just a little tiny bit of your mother in you, and you're and you're kind well, of like. Well, uh, I'm by sure the I,
1: face I, and I yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean the only you know the only thing I can tell people is I won't have a serrated knife in my hand as my that's mother good. did, that's and good. I and I won't grab your arm or at least okay. uh, only uh, affectionately.
0: Okay, well that's good to know. Well, thank you so much, Max. I really yeah. have enjoyed getting well, to know thank
1: you. Thank you, and and I appreciate the time, and I th- I appreciate all your insights.
0: Thank you, Visibility Pod for all your services and management of our podcast.